0: Welcome to the A-FIRM Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Thanks for joining us on our inaugural podcast. Today, we'll be speaking with the Chief Risk Officer at the IRS, Tom Brandt. Tom, good morning. Good
1: morning, Paul. How are you today? Good. Thanks
0: for joining us today on our inaugural podcast for risk management.
1: It's my pleasure, and thanks for the invitation.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's get into a uh, little bit about your um, your role over at the uh, IRS. Um, I think it's known in the federal space that you have one of the more mature implementations at this point. And uh, you're definitely beyond the basics. So we would be interested to hear about what are some more advanced techniques, so to speak, that you all are utilizing over there.
1: Great. Yeah, I think we're actually moving into our fifth year of implementation of ERM at the IRS, which it's a bit hard to believe it's actually um, been that long already. But I'd say where we're at today is we have moved beyond sort of the basics of putting in place a risk register and I think identifying top risks and I think some of the risk reporting. And where we've actually moved into is articulating um, our risk appetite. So last year working with the executive team, we did develop a written risk appetite statement, which actually is reflected in our, our current strategic plan. And I think moving on from that as well, we've begun to focus on developing key risk indicators, or what we call enterprise risk indicators. So, looking at sort of our top risks, what are some of the metrics uh, that we can track and look at that can give us an insight onto when a risk might be getting worse, or right. maybe you know I think some insight on on uh, where we where we need to probably pay closer attention. And then, of course, uh, I think the other key element, too, is moving beyond just identifying your top risks and focusing on risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. And so that's something where our executive risk committee has been working with what we call accountable parties. Those are units that are assigned responsibility for some of our top enterprise risks and actually working with them to look at what are our current mitigations? Mm -hmm. Are we comfortable that that's, I think, a sufficient risk response? And then are there areas where either additional investment or additional uh, support from the Executive uh, Risk Committee would be helpful, I think in terms of addressing some of the challenges or risks around um, our top challenges.
0: Right, so how much do you as the Chief Risk Officer you know, get involved in those specific conversations of the responses, You know, what's your role in that exactly?
1: Uh, I facilitate that discussion with our Executive Risk Committee which is, I chair that and then the members are our two Deputy Commissioners and then we have five executives who serve in rotational capacity. We meet quarterly and then in the summertime we may actually meet more frequently um, as we're doing uh, our annual enterprise risk assessment and that's where we'll invite uh, executive leads on different risks to come in and I think talk to the risk committee around our current risk response and get a sense of you know, how comfortable is the executive team that that response is within the agency's risk appetite.
0: Okay, so that makes sense of facilitation, getting everybody together. Um, And actually, back to the risk appetite, you know, how did you guys develop that? What was involved in that? Well,
1: I think every organization, whether they articulate it or not, has a risk appetite, and it really just reflects how comfortable the organization is in taking risk and what types of risk maybe are they going to be a bit more uh, uh, open to, and then some of those where they might be a bit more risk-averse, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started with our executive risk committee in developing some options uh, and socialized that a bit, you know, I think with different parts of the organization, and then we brought it to our senior executive team, which is the heads of all the units at the IRS, as well as the IRS commissioner last summer. Got their uh, input, and then ultimately settled on, you know, a risk appetite statement that acknowledges that, you know, any organization, in particular the IRS, to do our business, we have to accept risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some areas where we're especially sensitive to risk. You know, for example, protecting data, taxpayer rights etc and so those are areas where we're going to be much more cautious
0: right for sure Mm -hmm. yep makes sense okay well and let me ask you more about the the culture of ERM at the IRS you know now that it's been going on for at least five years here what would you say is the culture is leadership really involved is ingrained with them do they use it for strategy for budget
1: Yeah, so, you know, this is an area where I think we have also made really good progress is in terms of, I think, integrating the consideration of risk into our day-to-day activities and also, I think, changing just the overall way in which we approach risk. And so, as an example, uh, yesterday, uh, my office, you know, hosted a CPE for all IRS executives on where we're at with ERM, and I'm pleased to say that our IRS commissioner or acting commissioner opened that up, and we probably had more than two thirds of our executive team that participated in that, both remotely and in person. Um, I think that's a strong indication of their interest and support in the program, but I think as the acting commissioner noted yesterday in his remarks, uh, he's seen, uh, you know, I think, lots of evidence of where risks are being openly raised and discussed um, throughout a number of areas, and I think initiatives with the IRS, and of course the one that he's most attuned to right now is tax reform. Hmm
0: okay yeah that definitely uh, brings up the question i was curious about some of the biggest emerging risk areas happening at the irs right now and that that's one of them correct
1: yeah you know tax reform obviously is probably uh, one of our most significant risks at the moment because there's just so much that needs to be done in a very short time to implement that new law uh, that you know includes updating guidance issuing new forms Uh, system changes. And then I think doing outreach, we have to train our our workforce on the new provisions. So there are a number of risks that, you know, we've already identified and and are working to address, but then there's some sort of risks further down the road that are going to take a bit more time to really understand, I think, Mm -hmm. the scale and the scope. And that, for example, may just be how do people respond to the tax reform changes? Are there areas where we need to be a bit more concerned about potential non-compliance, mm-hmm. or even just uncertainty. In some of the provisions, uh, there is a bit of uncertainty, or where things could be a bit clearer. And I think that's where guidance comes in. But of course, uh, companies and businesses are already in the midst of, you know, carrying out their their business activities now. Um, so I think it creates some challenge in ensuring that we've got the guidance out timely, and then and then, uh, you know, taxpayers are able to actually plan their 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 business activities with that in mind.
0: Right. And just a little bit more on that. So when you look at something like tax reform, um, you know, you know, it's coming. So how, how soon do you prepare for that? And, you know, what are some of the things you do to to prepare to speak about those risks? And, you know. Yeah.
1: So that's kind of a tough one because tax reform has been on the agenda for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there were fits and starts even last year around whether or not that was going to get passed or not get passed. And. Um, Part of it is we do stay very closely attuned to all legislation that's you know, pending on the Hill, and, and we do begin taking early looks at sort of what the impact may be on the IRS. I'd say in, in this instance, uh, this probably came together very quickly, and maybe more quickly than, than perhaps I think uh, various stakeholders would have thought. But we do have a very defined process in place at the IRS when there is new legislation. So, you know, I think we were tracking early on some of the provisions and already beginning to plan sort of what were those areas that were going to be affected.
0: Right. Okay. makes sense. And uh, how about some other areas, uh, emerging areas for you guys?
1: You know, I think maybe an area that we haven't quite, you know, got a full handle on what the impact is going to be, I think, on, on the tax ecosystem and on the IRS itself, but it's around the digital economy. And then I think certainly, you know, some of the developments when we look at, you know, like artificial intelligence and robotics you know, what's the impact that that's gonna be on, on the workforce, on, on business activity, on the tax system. Mm-hmm. I think those are areas where we know that that's got implications for the IRS, but you know, I think we're gonna need some help there in really understanding you know, what are the risks in the short term and I think longer term. You know, another area where it's an emerged risk, but where it's evolving in a way that um, we have to continuously stay attuned to it is in the area of identity theft. And I think you know the IRS working with uh, partners in you know the state tax administration and the financial services community has done a lot to try to reduce and address you know identity theft as it relates to individuals. Mm-hmm. But now what we see is it's moving over to business identity theft and also shifting to our partners, tax preparers, mm-hmm. um, who you know have been victims of of scams and phishing uh, you know uh, events that have actually compromised you know data that they maintain on taxpayers. So. You know, once you sort of make it difficult in one area for the criminals, they, you know, they move on to another area. And so right. that's something where we've always got to look at where's the next place they're likely to go if we make it, you know, if we shut it down here.
0: Right. And, uh, yeah, that actually brings up a topic, you know, cybersecurity in general. I mean, you know, the hackers are trying to get in and get our data. And every federal agency has to worry about this, of course, every company, every individual. Um, but, you know, is the IRS particularly susceptible or, uh, you know, a greater risk than other other agencies for this?
1: Well, I think the IRS is a particularly um, attractive target because we issue refunds. So there's a monetary incentive for criminals to try and compromise uh, the IRS. You know, I think we've been uh, fortunate because of the defenses and the investments that we've made in cyber that we've not, you know, our actual systems themselves have not been compromised. But Mm -hmm. the challenge that we've had is that we we rely on you know, giving taxpayers access to information, access to their accounts in order to, to file their returns, obtain refunds, make payments, et cetera. And tying back to the earlier item on identity theft, so much information now is out there on all of us that it's made it you know, relatively easy for fraudsters to compile informa- enough information to actually authenticate as the taxpayer. And I think that's what we've really been challenged by, is how do we make sure that we're dealing with the legitimate taxpayer and actually issuing refunds to the right party.
0: Right. And uh, actually brings up my thought, you know, there was also a, you know, a little glitch that happened right around filing time this year, you know, we heard about in the news and all that. Um, And it kind of goes to response, you know, um, how do you guys respond to this and, and things like potential hacks, you know, wha- how's your responsiveness of it?
1: Well, so the IRS, I think, has a very rapid response, uh, you know, mm-hmm. process or approach. We do have sort of a, a handbook on on how to, to marshal our people and our resources when there is any type of event. Uh, and I think if you look back at sort of the, the hardware glitch that occurred on the, the last day of filing season, you know, the IRS was able to identify that problem very quickly, uh, bring the right people together, And really within about 12 hours, the system was back up and fully operational and we had processed over 14 million returns that had come in, you know, while the system was not fully operational. So, you know, I think that points to the importance of having a really good risk response plan and I think just being resilient because things are going to happen and, you know, hardware glitch, I'm not sure how, you know, a risk assessment or risk uh, uh, model is actually going to prevent all types of hardware act, you know failures but i think the key is then if something does happen what's your ability to quickly respond and address
0: right. Right. i'm a little curious just a little bit of the nitty gritty on risk responses so yeah. uh, what is the mechanism do you all so I, you all identify an area and then potential responses to it and then what is the next actual step you do guidelines or do you do some kind of a you know, if this happens then, you know, kind of scenario, what, what's the yeah. sort of the...
1: Well, it's a mix, Paul. I mean, yeah. you have to look at, first of all, what's the impact of the risk were to occur and mm-hmm. is the leadership team comfortable? for example are we willing to accept the risk if it occurs or is this something that we're not willing to accept and we either need to put in place mitigants to further reduce the likelihood right. is it something that we're going to stop doing because we're just you know so uncomfortable with the risk that it presents or in some areas can we transfer the risk or share the risk is it a, is there a way for us to perhaps you know get out of this business move it into another a third party you know how do we how do we perhaps lessen the impact of the risk on the IRS but in those instances where you know, for example, delivering our core services, there are going to be risks associated with trying to achieve that. The key is then, you know, what are some of the tools that we can implement to actually reduce right. the likelihood of the risk occurring? Mm-hmm. So that might be more investment, more monitoring, um, you know, again, bringing in additional staffing, for example, uh, and then the other piece of that too is just, you know, being sure that you've got a very good response plan in place so that if something does happen, uh, that you're equipped to rapidly address it.
0: Great. Well, uh, so everybody knows taxes is something many people are passionate about, <laughs> opinion-wise, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and it's a, it's an area if the IRS, you know, has had things come up in the news and over the years, and, um, you know, is it hard to kind of maintain momentum for, for, for risk management with kind of all these things coming up or political battles going on, or how do you guys maintain momentum?
1: Yeah, you know, I think it can be a challenge in the environment where uh, it seems like everything has become so politicized, but you know, what I would say has been, I think, valuable for us is the leadership at the IRS, including our our, our past commissioner and our acting commissioner, I think have been very focused on uh, keeping the agency focused on, you know, our mission and tried to be very positive in their outlook. And I think trying to separate sort of the political environment that we're in from the day-to-day mission uh, that we are all, you know, I think, focused on delivering. So I'd say that, that makes a that makes a a big difference is the leadership and and how do you keep people sort of keep their mind on the day-to-day work and 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 try to draw that distinction between what's happening in the environment around us? You know what happens though, is it does create you know create an environment where people are going to be a bit more risk adverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's partly because in the federal space and the in the government space, anything that goes wrong probably gets more attention than it would perhaps in other in other areas. Right. Um, And so even though anytime you want to innovate, you have to pilot and you have to test, I'm not sure there's a lot of room in the federal government for failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And failure is just a byproduct of I think innovation and trying new things, but um, we don't probably have as much space there and and that's where probably coming up with a really good risk plan is important because if you you see something that is going off course, uh, it gives you the capability to perhaps come up with you know, options and solutions before maybe we get too far down that road. Um, so I think, you know, ERM type activities, risk, good risk management practices can help organizations innovate. Um, but it does, it is a bit of a challenge, I think in the federal space just because there's so much scrutiny and I think so much focus on when things do go wrong.
0: Right, absolutely. Um, and, and I am curious, you know, I'm th- I think you guys are having a new commissioner come in in a little while, sometime soon here. Um, you know, and when a new commissioner comes in, you know, how do you all basically establish the credibility of your program, what you're doing so that the, you know, the new commissioner will be on board or, you know?
1: Yeah, that's an important point. And I think that the, the impact of the top leadership on risk culture and on ERM um, is significant. And I think that really is the, the key element in an agency's overall um, approach to risk is how does the leadership view the importance of I think sharing information and, and I think getting ahead of risks. Uh, I think the way that we've been able to demonstrate or can demonstrate the value equation is to point out how it can help the agency deliver on the mission. Right. And of course, all the political appointees come in with a specific charge they want to accomplish and deliver uh, you know, for the administration and for, the, uh, for, in our case, for the taxpayer. So we're able to demonstrate how good risk management practices can actually increase the likelihood of success in delivering the mission, but I think more importantly, in this environment as well, increase the likelihood of success for the, you know, the new commissioner um, you know, himself or herself, uh, by giving them a tool to actually identify you know, where things could go wrong, and I think equipping us with the capacity to either address things before they do go wrong, or again, um, just be better prepared uh, to, uh, to have the opportunity ahead of time, perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. to, to address any challenges that we might see.
0: Right. And then I was wondering, you know, when new leaders come in, I mean, I would assume, depending on the ar- their agenda or uh, what they're trying to do, there's going to be different perspectives on what they consider to be risks what's, or what's their appetite higher or lower than a previous administration. Um, so, you know, how flexible are you guys to that? Or, and also, are there risks that are always going to be risks, no matter who's, in, who's coming in?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, for example, the cyber risk, identity theft, you know, some of the compliance challenges, that's always going to be part of, you know, risk to the tax system, I I assume. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the difference is that, you know, leadership will have different risk appetites. There's some areas where they may be willing to push the, you know, the envelope a bit for IRS to get out in front in some areas. Mm -hmm. Or, again, depending on what their specific charge is, what their background is, what their areas of expertise are, they might have a different view on things that perhaps we need to be a bit more risk-sensitive mm-hmm. about, right? So I think that's the great thing about an ERM, uh, and particularly the way it's been established within the federal space, is it's been done in a way to give flexibility. Mm-hmm. It's not been pushed out as a one-size-fits-all. It has set been set out with a set of standards and I think some principles, but there is flexibility for organizations to implement that in a way that works best for them, and again, that allows it to be adaptable so that as leadership changes and as risk appetites change, and I think as the priorities of organizations change, the risk management program can adapt um, to support, um, you know, any of those uh, approaches.
0: Right. No, I would think so that when the new commissioner comes in, his or her staff, as well, you know, I'm sure you guys are going to look at the what's on, you know, your risks list plan right now, so to speak, and some things might drop off, some things might increase or decrease, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean I think any leader coming into a new organization would want to get a sense of what are the areas of opportunity mm-hmm. number 1 but then what are those areas that I need to watch out for that where we may have uh, particular particular risks. And so I think again any leader is going to want to see what that information is. I think that's what the value of having, you know, uh, an updated and timely sort of uh, risk register for an organization can can h- provide to new leadership. Um, but then again, their view of what may be the the top risks may be different from their predecessor, and again, I think it's right. based on their own experience, their expertise, mm-hmm. and I think sort of what their charge is right
0: well let's uh let's talk about uh the funding here because you know budgets are always getting cut obviously, <laughs> and uh you know how have you all dealt with that as far as risk management's concerned you know in order to you know you're doing less with more that kind of maxim but you know, what, what, what are some innovative things that you all have had to do because you had budget cuts, you know?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. The first uh, risk uh, assessment that we did at the IRS back in 2014 identified budget as one of the top risk areas mm-hmm. because we were experiencing, you know, significant cuts which have continued for the last several years. It's You know, I wouldn't say that this is a <clears throat> term <laughs> that's um, one that we uh, would, would want all organizations to have to experience, but we've almost viewed budget now as becoming a foundational risk because right. it's just become so prevalent across, I think, all of government, given uh, the challenges we have from a, a budgetary perspective. But what that has done is it has forced us, I think, to... Uh, implement uh, to streamline processes, to streamline approaches, and to make I think changes in the way we deliver services and the way um, we do our work um, that have made you know processes more efficient. But I think on the flip side of that, those constraints also have I think delayed the ability of the IRS to actually make transformational changes right. because you know again making a process change um, requires investment. Um, and when you're dealing with the scale of the budget cuts that the IRS, I think, has experienced, and you're looking at you know, how do we keep the phone lines open and how do we continue to enforce the tax law and, uh, and how do we make sure we're providing guidance, trying to balance you know, all those needs with our cyber needs, for example, mm-hmm. and then continue to innovate, um, I think it, it does cause us to actually find those areas where we can make the incremental um, improvements. But it does make it difficult, I think, to actually invest in those transformational changes, which need a long-term commitment. And that's something right. in the federal space that um, you know I think is particularly challenging for us is that uh, it's very difficult to get long-term commitments um, to uh, transformational change.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your time um, at another organization. I understand you used to work at the uh, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. And um, they also have a forum, a a forum, what is it? sorry. The Forum on Tax Administration. That's it, FTA. Um, And can you tell us a little bit about that organization and what they do and also kind of what you learned as far as risks for taxes across the world, basically?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a really unique opportunity. You know, the U.S. is a part of the OECD and the IRS has been actively involved with the work of the OECD for, you know, as long as I've been at the agency and I've had opportunities to represent the IRS at Um, meetings of and work that's done by the OECD. So when the opportunity arose for me to actually go work um, at the OECD and with the Forum on Tax Administration in 2016, I I saw that as just a a really uh, good uh, time for me to actually learn more about what's happening in other tax administrations. And we have about 50 countries that actually are part of the Forum on Tax Administration. And so by being, I think, a part of that body for over a year, I was able to get some insight into the specific risks that other tax administrations are faced with, mm-hmm. and then more importantly, what are some of the approaches that they've taken to try to, I think, address and mitigate. Right. So, not surprisingly, um, we share many of the top risks. Human resources is a you know challenges is a top risk for most tax administrations. Cyber risk, you know, I think is pretty common across tax compliance risk, et cetera. So, it's helpful to see where we've got common. Um, common areas of risk, and then also, you know, learning what is, what is each country doing to address that, and how can we perhaps share some of those experiences uh, with other tax administrations. And that's something that the Forum on Tax Administration, which it's the tax commissioners of about 50 countries that, mm-hmm. you know, form that body, that's one of the key benefits that I think they gain from that is really understanding what have other tax agencies done, and then what can we apply, for example, back in our own tax mm-hmm. administration.
0: So, so did you see some tangible things that responses or things that you could implement?
1: Oh, you know, absolutely. And I think again, you know looking in the area of some of the uh, tax compliance challenges in particular and also mm-hmm. service, mm-hmm. I mean, you can look at what's happened in some of the Nordic countries and then certainly in some of the areas, you know whether it's Australia, or New Zealand, where they've made significant advances in the in the way that they deliver service uh, to taxpayers that that we can, I think uh, learn from. I think the other area too is in the in a whole international tax landscape now um, there's such an interconnectedness of tax and particularly with the ability to shift resources or shift assets throughout the world it does require sort of a coordinated approach uh, to tax compliance and I think that's something that the OECD and the FTA of course have been very focused on for the last you know five to ten years as is, uh, is providing this uh, coordinated framework to addressing, Tax compliance, because, you know, it doesn't help, for example, for one tax administration to put in place provisions that are just going to drive noncompliance, you know, somewhere else, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think all tax administrations get impacted by that.
0: Right. And actually, just briefly, because that brings up the, uh, what is it, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. Oh, right, right. Just curious what, you know, you guys, that's on your list of uh, to-dos as well, I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, that has been in place now for, gosh, more than five years. And I think the IRS has done a great job in getting the system set up and working with the financial institutions, you know, throughout the world and other countries. And I think signing the treaty provisions and I think putting in the mechanics so that Information on assets that you know U.S. citizens have abroad can be reported uh, to the U.S. And you know the, the work that the U.S. did in this space actually then led to you know an overall reporting system now that's in place I think worldwide and particularly mm-hmm. for all of the countries that are in um, um, the OECD's um, uh, you know I'm sorry working with uh, the the uh, the base erosion profit shifting initiative within mm-hmm. the OECD where there's now a common reporting system. And so it's not just the U.S. FATCA, but now there's actually, you know, reporting, I think, for for most tax administrations now, um, which gives insight again into where our assets being shifted. Um, and, uh, you know, how can that actually help all tax administrations, I think, get a get a handle on overall compliance?
0: OK, yeah, very interesting. Um, well, I want to kind of have one more question for you. Uh, so you are the uh, president elect for a firm, the Association for Enterprise Risk Management, Federal Enterprise Risk Management. Right. Um, so I'm curious to see what. Uh, actually, two questions. You know, what do you see are some of the biggest challenges coming up right now for federal agencies in general, and then also just maybe some you know advice or feedback for other agencies trying to get to that maturity level you guys are at. So.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, first of all, I'm excited to to be serving as the president-elect and actually have the opportunity to work with the the federal community on risk management because I do personally just see so much value that can be gained out of having in place an effective, I think, risk management program. You know, the challenge, of course, in the environment we're in today is that everybody is strapped for resources and time. Mm-hmm. And so there can be a view that, you know, I'm too busy. Um, and if you and if you not really have a good sense of what ERM is and, and, and sort of what it, what it can provide for an organization, I think there can be a view that um, that's something we don't have time for. But the flip side of that is, by not doing risk management, organizations are more likely to, to suffer crises. Right. And then what happens is, then you have to, whether you choose, to whether you'd like to or not, you then have to deploy crisis management. Mm. Right. And <laughs> we've, we have far too many examples, and the IRS you know has its own, of uh, where we've actually had crises that probably could have been um, you know prevented through good risk management mm. programs. And then you look at the time and the resources spent addressing the crisis, Um, you could have spent far fewer resources and a lot less time, I think, in practicing good risk management. So I think it's trying to just point out the value um, that risk management can have to organizations and and also getting people to recognize that we're not doing it or you shouldn't do it just because OMB has updated the circular, for example. And so even though that has prompted, I think, a lot of organizations to look at ERM, and we welcome and appreciate that, that shouldn't be the main driving factor. The main driving factor should be recognizing the value um, that ERM can provide, and then seeing how that can actually help. I think increase again the likelihood of success that of your organization, and I think your agency delivering on its mission. But then personally, you know, for all of us as leaders in government, uh, for us to increase the likelihood of our own personal success and being able to achieve, you know, the objectives that that we want to accomplish in our roles in government. So. I, I see a lot of value that can be gained from ERM and from good risk management practices if, if people can sort of look at that side of the equation and not get too caught up in perhaps some of the process side of ERM. Right.
0: Okay. Well, thanks, Tom, for joining us today. I learned a lot and appreciate you giving us your, your story from the IRS and from other organizations. And we look forward to hearing more.
1: Great. Well, Paul, thanks again for the opportunity. It's been a real pleasure.
0: that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. We have several upcoming shows this year planned. Uh, we'll be speaking to various federal ERM thought leaders, risk professionals, chief risk officers. I think there'll be plenty of interesting topics for everybody. So until then, this is Paul Marshall signing off, and I hope we will join us again soon for the next A-Firm podcast.